Hey Liberators, welcome to the Buyer-Centric Revenue Model Podcast. This is going to be a mishmash of audio content. LinkedIn content, guest podcasts, interviews, debates, and live Q&A. We'll primarily discuss how you can liberate yourself from the outdated and harmful sales-led growth model from the 1980s and instead achieve marketing-led growth via the buyer-centric revenue model. Enjoy profit, growth, a competitive advantage, and more productive and fulfilling careers. Topics include 1. Marketing versus sales development. 2. Real sales versus sales assembly line. 3. Real goals and metrics versus MQLs and quota. 4. Full salary plus bonus versus commission. If you haven't already, I highly demand that you sign up for the Buyer-Centric Revenue Model Slack community to discuss and implement the model. Join the movement of forward-thinking peers liberating and modernizing B2B marketing and sales. Enjoy insights, resources, and jobs. Plus, live Q&A on Thursdays at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Head over to buyercentricrevenue.com to sign up. If you want to learn more, check out my LinkedIn videos or my book, Marketing-Led Growth via the Buyer-Centric Revenue Model, available on Amazon in ebook, paperback, and audiobook. And now to this episode. Hey everyone, in this episode we've got Kelvin Mulraney, a sales and marketing leader and the founder of The Revenue Standard, a sales consultancy to help B2B startups with sales. Kevin is also the co-host of The Addicted to Growth, a top sales podcast that is actually trying to modernize and elevate sales instead of keeping it down in the 1980s. So Kevin, thanks for coming on the show, man. Excited to have you. Yeah, no, appreciate you having me. This will be fun. This will be a lot of fun. Awesome, awesome. So let us put you right into the buyer's flip-flops. And uh, so Don, your B2B SaaS buyer hat, and I'd like to talk about your buying preferences. So let's start with how you like to become aware of vendors. How do you first like to hear about vendors? So we'll hold off for now on how you like to learn about them. But yeah, how do you like to first hear about them yeah i think um i I think the most common way i hear about them and it's it is my preference is one of two things one it's it's through peers so um i i've lucky and fortunate enough to build up a, a pretty solid network of other sales leaders and and professionals that you know we just talk shop from time to time and so a lot of that is understanding you know um challenges that we're facing wins solutions and and how we all um share and, and grow together. So a lot of what I learn about from it from with new tools um, is from a lot of peers. And and the other candidly is is LinkedIn. Um, I think really there's a lot of great content creators on LinkedIn that are, you know, creating awareness around their products through very much like a, a an educational point of view uh, and a nice sharing point of view as opposed to a very hardcore sales pitchy point of view. So um, yeah, I'd say peers and, and LinkedIn are the the two most common, but also probably preferred for me as well. Word and two follow-ups that so for your peers, where are those conversations taking place? Like what channels or communities or forums or groups are they happening? And then for the content creators on LinkedIn that are sharing this stuff unbiased, any examples within your space that or anyone recent that comes to mind that maybe the audience might know? Yeah, so from a from a peer's perspective, I'd say the channels are um 
There's a couple, right? Like I think, uh, again, I fortunate enough where I, you know, I've got text message, like group chats and things like that going. Um, there are some really cool communities though, that I think are creating awareness and sharing. Um, there's also little Patreon groups that I've been become a part of that share a lot of great content and sales training. And, and again, all really in a, in an effort to level up. Um, but there's, you know, from, a you know, one that's targeted specifically on the revenue operation side of things, um, uh, a good friend of mine, Eddie Reynolds, he's the CEO of a company called Union Square Consulting. Um, him and he just kicked off his RevOps Live, um, which is basically a, a, a weekly live podcast uh, where folks can come on and ask questions and talk shop and share stories. So that's been a really cool one. Um, also, Chris Gannon over at Captivate Talent, uh, he does Revenue Talent Talk. And uh, just, again, another it's just a nice, you know, kind of a, a channel to bring people together um, and uh, and share and learn. Um, on the LinkedIn front, um, you know, there's 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 a lot of people doing it well, and there's I think there's also a lot of people not doing it well. Um, those that are not doing it well are just like the the connect and pitch, you know, type type folks. Um, I think if I if I if I were to scroll through like my feed, I think uh, guys like Darren McKee does it really well. That shares a lot of great information. Um, Zoe over at Speckit, I think she does a phenomenal job as well. Um, and then too, I, I got to shout out my, my my guys from Saster, uh, Jack Ryan and, and, and Mike Wallen. They do an amazing job of just sharing really cool things. And and a lot of the time, it's just an effort to like share, educate, and help and connect. So it's a uh, yeah. There's some there's some really great folks doing it in a in a positive and uh, I'd say beneficial way. That's awesome. So you know, peers, uh, content creators on social media, people who are doing it in a, in a, you know, genuine, non-pitchy, non-salesy way. And, and there's, a, you know, some live events that are happening as well. So, and lots of great examples there uh, of folks in the, in the sales or RevOps space that you mentioned that maybe people are aware of. You can look to them for inspiration if, if you're looking to also go about, you know, building, awareness uh, in these channels. So let's now pivot to how you like to become or how you like to learn about vendors. So once you become aware of them, how do you then go seek information about them and what information is important to you and where do you go to get that information? Yeah. So I, I, you know, a, a 13 page like PDF white paper is not going to do it for me. Like you're just going <laughs> to lose me. Um, so I, I think there, you know, for me, like I love watching um, any type of like product tour, product led video, I think is, is fantastic. I think that's where I really like to go um, and see it again. I'm, uh, I, I say this like candidly, like I'm, I'm lucky enough to have connections and, and friends and, and a network where, um, a lot of these people are using these tools, so we'll, we'll hop on a Zoom and they'll show their screen. We'll walk through it. Um, I also advise a number of startups, so I get to see a really cool. Um, I, I do see some tech stack that I've never, I haven't actually used before. Um, like a great example of that. It's like I'm very familiar with with Wingman that that Clary just acquired, but um, never actually used it. So I get to kind of get my hands dirty into a, a new tool that, um, again, been very very well aware of, but not. Um, have not actually uh, been a customer before. So th those are some common ways. Um, like I said, I like to uh, sit back and read. Like I'm a visual learner. So I like to see, I like to kind of try and get my hands dirty. So if there is a freemium or a free trial type product, I'm not afraid to, to jump in. Um, 
you know, feet first. Um, so that's probably where I like to kind of like do a little bit more of the education or exploration. Um, you can go to YouTube. They've got tremendous resources on, again, any kind of video platform that's going to show product tours, reviews, things like that. Um, so that's, that's typically how I'm, I'm diving in and learning more about the tools. Uh, I think the, the last piece I will add, um, I, I want to, I want to learn about how a company has solved for my specific use case with other customers. So if they have case studies that are very pointed towards a specific challenge or problem that I can relate with, that's something that's going to help me educate myself, but learn and figure out, is this the best fit for me? Right on. So we heard product tours, videos. He's a visual learner. A lot of buyers like that. They want to see it. Seeing is believing. This is also a reoccurring theme here of peers, even jumping on a Zoom with peers who are using this product and how they're using it. Similarly, case studies of people in his shoes who are using it and also likes to try the product, get his hands dirty. And uh, how about pricing? Do um, Do you like to see pricing on the website up front or it's okay if you you know, that if you hold off on that? Uh, I, I, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I do like to see it. Um, I, I would say the one thing, now, if it's not there, it's not like I'm not going to continue to explore if the product is good, right? If the product seems good, it seems like it's going to help fix whatever need I may have, um, you know, kind of checks the box on a few things for me. If pricing is not on the website, it's not necessarily, I'll say like a, a deal killer, Um what would be a deal killer though for me is if I ask for ballpark pricing and if I don't get that early in the process, like that's a deal killer. Cause I think that that's just a, a pretty terrible customer experience. Um, but yeah, if it's on the website, that's fantastic. Um, but I, I, again, having a ballpark of pricing early in the process for me is always going to be helpful. Um, for me, traditionally, I've always worked at, you know, more of the early stage startup series, a series B even seed, um, where, you know, you don't necessarily have like a budget just lying around and trying to figure out what to do with it, right? From what you have to be able to build a business case um, and go fight and justify the, to, to go get that budget. So that's typically the shoes that I've been in as a buyer. Um, so having a ballpark around pricing and impact for me is always really, has always been very important. Totally. And I, I, I think I agree with you. I mean, at least ballpark, it doesn't have to be specific. Of course, for a lot of folks, pricing isn't off the shelf. It, you know, it depends on what products or features people go for, but at least a ballpark to get some indication is really helpful to buyers. So now let's, um, th- th- this is kind of a, a thread off of this, off that question. So what would you say is the percentage split preference for getting information from marketing versus sales? And for marketing, I mean, uh, from the website where you're self-educating and self-serving information, you know, content videos, and also from your peers who marketing is also influencing. So peers is word of mouth, referrals, community, social, um, and versus information that is behind sales where you have to speak to a salesperson to to get information where whether it's to see the product how it works benefits and features pricing do you have any split percentage preference between getting information from marketing or sales and maybe walk us through that yeah i mean so speaking for myself i i probably would want to be 
about I'll call it like say 60, 70% of the way through my, my process before I speak with a salesperson. Um, and at that point, I probably have a short list of maybe anywhere from, you know, three to four other, you know, three to four vendors that I want to be speaking with. Um, but I want to be able to, you know, again, I, I keep going back to peers, but it's just, it, uh, it's really big for me. And I think that that's really where things are going as well. So and I think that's why I see a lot of these, communities have really cool like sponsors right because they they understand getting into these communities is is really important um i'm going to want to speak with with peers i'm going to want to see product tours and demos i'm going to want to read case studies around impact and and what problems they solved i'm probably going to want to do a lot of that stuff which will then create questions that i'm going to want to go speak to sales about to dive into so you know candidly i mean look i'm 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 a i'm a revenue and sales leader right so um I, but for me, I, I'm probably somebody who likes, I, I'd rather talk through things and I like to talk to people um, and kind of hash things out. So I may be a little bit on the earlier end than, than most, but I would say I'm probably a good 60, 70% of the way through um, and then kind of shortlist three to four vendors that I'm going to want to go speak with. Right on. And I think the audience can see this pattern of how impactful peer influence is. Just keep in mind, folks, that leaders have these close-knit communities of other leaders because they don't have time to learn everything on their own. They need to be able to lean on other peers who are in the same shoes as them to get wisdom and go further faster with less effort. And that includes evaluating vendors because in the MarTech world, right, there's 10,000. I don't know what it is in the sales tech world if it's like also there's thousands of sales tech vendors, right? So they don't have it's time. Crazy. Yeah, you, they don't have time to sort through each and all these vendors. And so, you know, you ask a few folks and you get some recommendations. And he said he's got a short list of maybe three to four before he pops on the sales. And by the time that he gets to sales, he's pretty well informed, 60 to 70 percent. He's got some questions. He's not coming in like, what does your software do? What's this category? I just kind of heard about it by the by. So, you know, it's going to be a really productive conversation probably with with the salesperson. So now let's pivot. Um, well, actually, th this is a, a related question. What information or help do you want and need or expect from sales that you, you don't get from peers and from marketing? So why do you as a B2B SaaS buyer really need sales? And maybe what types of products and services require more help from sales? Yeah, that's a great question. I think for for me, I I really want to dig into the like as I mentioned before, like the use case. So I've got this specific problem to solve. Um, you can learn about some of that, but I, that's where I'm really going to want to dig in is and just really understand um, what what do your best customers do and how do they work with you in order to solve this problem that I'm 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 feeling today. So that's a big part of it. Um, there, again, depending on the product and what I'm what I'm purchasing, there may be questions around, say, like integrations and connecting into other systems and things of that nature. But really, for for me, it's education around best practices. So if I do choose your product, I, I can say with a high degree of confidence or probability that I'm going to get my desired outcome. Um, so that's a big part of it you know, very, I'd want to understand things like the support that's actually involved. If they do have pricing, sometimes they'll throw out, oh, like 
customer success, you know, but like, what does that really mean? So it's just, it's just kind of unpeeling the onion and going a few layers deeper on things of that. Um, but I think for me, it's, it's really just trying to, like I said, understand like best practices. And if, if we went with this tool, like how, how can we ensure that I'm set up for success? Exactly. And I think a lot of buyers want that information from a seller because ideally a seller has expertise and has seen what it, various different use cases that customers use and, and how they use the product differently. Some buyers use it this way, some buyers use it that way. And maybe for you, it works better like this, but maybe for that person, it works better like that, given your type of company and growth stage or the resources on your team or the industry that you're in or the types of, so that a seller can know, it's often hard to suss that out from the website and, oh, go ahead, yeah. jump in. Well, I was going to say, the, the other piece of it too, though, that I think is super, um, super interesting that, that I left out is, I want to know why would somebody go work with your competitor versus you, right? Um, and and I think part of it is is the information gathering, right? First and foremost. So, and the other is this is a really big opportunity to build trust and relationship with your prospect, right? If I get the you know an answer that kind of just like completely tears down the competition, like again, like for some of these SaaS companies out there, like. Yeah, I'm just going to use one example, like a sales loft and an outreach. Both are phenomenal companies, right? Now, because of a certain use case or because of a certain problem, you may t- pick one over the other, right? Like there's reasons that someone chooses sales sales loft versus outreach or HubSpot versus Salesforce, right? Um, but I want to understand that information. And that's not always part of marketing collateral and material or not very well, well explained. But I think it's also an opportunity for me to kind of assess out when I'm working with the sales rep, are you going to give me an honest answer and a respectful answer, or are you going to just try and, you know, kind of trash the competition, sell around it? So I think it's, it's a, it's a big part. Cause again, it's all about relationship building in my eyes. So this is actually, I'm going to ask you to maybe um, share some advice or wisdom here. Cause I think that's a really great point. And I haven't heard that before. And I see marketing sometimes does this with like uh, competitor comparisons and sales also does this in conversations where buyers ask about the competition. So as a sales expert and sales leader, what is your advice to marketing and sales when that question comes up of how do you stack up against the competition? How should you go about it? And how should you not go about it? Yeah. So what I, what I like to do um, when, I, when, when building out or, or running sales teams is create what I just refer to as um, a competitive landscape ma- uh, matrix, right? And so it's, it's, you have your company plus a list of your top, call it four or five, whoever your competition is, right? And it's, what do they do better than us? What do we do better than them, right? And, and it's just having real, and then you can have information around um, what their pricing structures are. Again, any, any type of things like example, customers, segments. Um, but for me, and I, if I'm, if I'm the seller, right, hypothetically, the way I would handle that is say, well, typically, um, and again, I'm just going to pretend like I'm a sales loft slash outreach salesperson, right? But it's like, well, um, you know, obviously, they're doing great things in the marketplace. Typically, customers will go to company A if they're looking for this and this. Um, however, we, we do that. They might do it a little bit better, a little bit differently. Where we really shine is this, right? So it's never, ever like tearing down the competition. Or you can also do it and say, yep, we do that, 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 and we also do this on top of it, right? So, but I do think that 
you have to be honest with your prospects. If you're not great at something, right? If your product falls short in a certain area, you got to be honest with that. Because guess what? If they sign up with you because they think it's great, they're going to find out, right? And again, to me, it's all about building really great long-term relationships. Um, and when you're selling something, you're kind of putting your name right to it and it's your brand and your reputation so i think if you can handle it and just highlight hey look this is where they're a little bit better than us this is where we shine for them you know just just being honest about it i think is the the most important thing um i do see a lot of marketers um you know i think the holy grail of a case study is oh we just we work with this customer who left insert competitor for us i think that's always great right um but again, I think any which way that you can really candidly shout out um, where your strengths lie, um, maybe it's with a certain customer segment, as an example. Oh, they're great. They're typically great with the enterprise. We fit a little bit better with them in market customers, and here's why. You know, that type of a thing. Yeah, and I think that's great. So I think you got to give your competition credit where credit is due and praise them for their for what they're best at, and then also praise your virtues and say, hey, our, we're, we're best here. And so honesty is the best policy. It's not going to help you in the short term or long term to try to play tricks or omit relevant facts to the buyer or, or, or under promise and over deliver. And that's not going to help you at, uh, with the sales leader who wants, wants that if that customer is unhappy and doesn't uh, yeah. implement or, or is, adopts or churns, that's going to come back to bite you. Go ahead, Kevin. Yeah, no, that's, that's exactly it. Right. Um, and I think with, when you think about that first initial sale, um, that's where, you know, the relationship just getting kicked off. And if you go and you just, you're going to, you're going to kill your churn. You're going to, and again, I think, you know, part of it is like, I've been, you know, I've been at this for 15 ish years. Like there, there are folks that I sold to over a decade ago that I still have relationships with today, but it's because I, you know what I mean? Like we built a good, honest, respectful relationship and I didn't, you know, I didn't, uh, you know, as you said very, very well, over promised under deliver. So I think it's really important. Right on. And so that brings me to my next question because I've heard a few times you stress the importance of having trust and a relationship with sales and with your seller, how, how key that is as a buyer. So do you prefer a single seller with no handoffs, let's say an AE CSM combined, or um, do you prefer what is sometimes known as the sales assembly line, which is the AE CSM split and maybe other subdivisions and buyer handoffs, or are you neutral? Yeah, this is a big question. Um, and I think there's a couple of variables and considerations you have to think about. Um, what I would say is the, if if you're the earlier stage you are, you should go with more of a generalist approach as opposed to this assembly line or specialization. So I think if you're a really early stage company, it's okay to start with more of that generalized approach, whether that's full cycle sales, um, you know, or even full cycle sales to account management. But you obviously have to recognize that your your bandwidth and capacity is going to, you're going to hit roadblocks um, or, or a bottleneck a lot quicker. Um I'm a huge fan of full cycle sales. I think especially Can you define if, that for folks who may not be familiar with that term? Yeah, so full 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 cycle sales is really just remove instead of it being the SDR to AE handoff, it's the AE that is sourcing their own deals, following up on leads, 
booking the meeting and then and then doing the closing so it's not the tee up to close it's it's full cycle of bo- doing both is that clear yeah yeah thank you okay sorry go ahead cool. no no all good all good i just want to make sure uh I'm, I'm being concise um so yeah so i i like that and i think that you know that can work really really well um especially for maybe more of an smb mid-market type sale where the sales cycles are a little bit quicker um I do think that when you get into longer sales cycles, um, more complex um, enterprise level sales, that SDR to AE relationship can be really, really fruitful. Um, again, though, I think that there, you know, again, if, if you have that person who's doing full cycle sales plus managing relationships, like I said, you're going to hit bottlenecks a lot quicker because one person only has so much capacity. Um, and then there's also going to be things like where does, um, you know, typically when I've seen salespeople own the new business plus the re- retention piece, well, if you've got this amazing product and you renew at a high rate, right, you're going to invest a lot of the time in your renewals and then your new business might, might suffer. So um, again, it's, it's a really, it's, it's a tricky question. There's not a one size fit all answer to be really honest, because like I said, who you're selling to, what the sales cycle is. Um, how mature is your revenue organization and your processes? And then also what are the needs of the business, right? Maybe, um, and I think that CS, AM, like I think that they're an AE, like I, those are specialized talents. So as you mature, I think you do need to get a little bit more into that specialization um, because some of the best customer success managers I've seen they're great at building the relationships and they're great from a revenue commercial perspective, but that hunter new business is just not where they thrive. So it's also about putting people in the right positions to, you know, succeed and where they're going to thrive. Totally. And there's another use case, speaking of use case devils, I'd like to throw (laughs) by you and maybe you can chew on this uh, and think out loud. So suppose the seller does not need to generate their own needs or do any prospecting. Suppose that marketing is providing sellers with a sufficient amount of quality leads so that a seller never has to generate their own leads and just focuses on helping those buyers to evaluate, buy, implement, adopt, and be successful. So suppose you had a seller that was an AECSM combined, no handoff, and was paid a full salary and bonus instead of commission. And their goals and metrics were holistic instead of for the AE, which is just revenue on the initial sale. You're looking at the typical holistic sales goals and metrics. You know, you're looking at win rate, sales cycle, churn, customer success and adoption. And, you know, like an AE metrics and CSM metrics combined, you know, so if you're looking to at all that. So um, how about that? What do you think about that? Any, any um, thoughts there? Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, what I would say is I, I, I mean, look, I think it could work. Um, I think though, like I mentioned before, you're, you're going to run into, you know, if you're converting that pipeline at a pretty decent clip um, and again, without knowing like sales cycles, but you're, you're, you're probably going to, start to create a book of business that gets so large that eventually just pure based off capacity and time alone, you, you can't focus on 
bringing on a brand new 30 customers if you got a book of say 60 customers and I'm, I'm making those numbers up but i think you get the point right like if you book a business is so big to ensure renewals and to ensure um great customer experience and great you know uh, that your customers are getting value from the the, the product eventually you're going to get to a place where all your time is going to be spent there right so you're going to have a problem on one side of the one side of the the pipeline or the other either eventually you're going to get to a place where you're still bringing on a lot of new customers but you don't have the time to spend with the existing ones so you got a leaky bucket and a lot of them churn um you know so i think that's 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 kind of what i would i would um quickly highlight as a a that would be a challenge that you'd face when trying to scale that um so that's why i think eventually um, as you're now, again, if we're talking, Hey, let's just get to our first hundred customers and you got, you know, two, three AEs and that's, what's going to be like, yeah, that'll, that'll work. Um, I think once you want to scale beyond that, you're going to, you're going to start to run into some, some bottlenecks. Yeah, for sure. And at that point, you really have to think about hiring new sellers and their productive capacity. And, and that's a big part of sales management is knowing when to hire new sellers to handle additional demand as, as sellers portfolios mature and they handle more of, let's say the CSM aspect of things. So um, now you, you mentioned you lean, you maybe lean slightly towards full sales over the, over the sales assembly line. Do you have a quantifiable percentage split? Is it 50, 50 or 60, 40 or something like that for people to have something concrete for, I know there's so many variables and different factors and you, and you were really helpful in being very specific, but is there a general preference as a buyer one way or the other? Um, you know, I, I think, I, again, I mean, if this is a, I'll, I'll kind of, as a buyer, and again, I'll, I, what you'll, what you'll probably hear and see is I, I try to create it like as a, so as a sales leader, I try to create a sales process that I think is conducive to buyers and I put myself in the shoes of the buyers. So there's going to be a lot of similarities there. Um, I do think, though, that the longer the sales, the, the shorter the sales cycle, um, the less of the assembly line motion it should feel because you're just creating too many handoffs and too many opportunities where um, things are going to fall through the cracks. So if it's a product that lower ACV, you know, I'm, I'm moving and, you know, from first discussion with sales to onboarding is, you know, sub 60 days. Like I don't, I don't make me do a bunch of handoffs, right. Um, get me in with one person and let's keep it moving. Um, so that, that would probably be the best way for me to, to explain kind of the preference of it uh, to try and quantify it. But I, 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 does that, does that answer the question? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think what we'll do for, for those who maybe just look at the show notes or we'll see us on LinkedIn We'll just give them that exact clarity, your, your, your verbal explanation, which I think is actually super helpful. It's much more accurate um, than just a pure quantifiable one because you're giving it in a specific context of a faster sales cycles and, and, and lower ACVs. It doesn't make as much sense to have so many sellers with these handoffs. Um, so that's, that's, that's great. So now on the same thread of your experience with sales, another hot topic as a buyer, and in, in the buyer's shoes, if you knew in advance whether your seller was commissioned versus paid a full salary and bonus, would you have a preference either way? And so um, the way that I see commission and, and, others, and some others see it, you might have a different view of it. But for me, the way I see commission is it's compensation that is dependent on the buyer's decision to purchase 
as opposed to the company just guaranteeing it and saying, Hey, we're going to just pay you this. And, you know, we, we'll trust you to do your job the best you can. And so um, now then the buyer might feel, okay, the, the paycheck, the livelihood of the seller is, is up to me. And they might, they might suspect the seller um, might be more inclined towards pressure selling. They might expect that they might expect aggressiveness. They might expect under promising over deliver over promising under delivering or omitting relevant facts, things like that. Any thoughts there as a buyer, if, if you knew that in advance one way or another, or are you neutral on it? It's, you know, this is a really interesting one. Um, I mean, from the buyer perspective, you know, you're, you're either going to, I think, regardless of, of how the person is compensated, you're either going to build trust with this person or not. Right. And, and I think that like, yes, that, that is a level to it. And, and the way that you described it makes complete sense to me. And I think is one of the reasons why sales is, is, is flawed, right. Because of that. Um, but I think though, that the compensation piece does tie into it, but regardless of that, you're going to either trust the person during the sales process or you're not right. Um, now what's really interesting here though, is I don't think I, it, would that change behaviors? Yeah, I definitely think it would. Um, if, but if you're, you know, but look, sales is the, the way sales is compensated today is the way it's compensated today. And everyone knows that roughly 50% of a salesperson's, you know, earnings each year is based off their performance. So that might be why there's a stigma to not trust salespeople, which I totally understand. Um, would that alone change it? Not immediately and maybe over time. Um, I did do a post a, a number of months back on, on LinkedIn talking about like, what if, what if every other function was compensated like sales, right? Like what if your product got 50% base and if you delivered certain things that drove to revenue targets, you got commission, right? What do people like, say? <laughs> it, it, it was one it, it was actually one of the best performing posts i got because there was a lot of really interesting comments on it um and, it, and it's it's a really interesting topic but i think I, again I, I mean i think it does it impact things from the buyer's journey yeah it definitely does um i do think though you're either gonna like i said you're gonna build trust with somebody in a relationship with somebody or you're not um i do think though it's massively flawed and i think that um you know, for me, like if you gave me my full OTE as a salary, is it, am I going to work any harder or am I going to slack off more? No, I'm still going to go for it, but that's just because that's who I am. And when you're hiring people, that's, that's what you got to look for. You got to hire people that have the DNA to go make it happen. Um, yeah. Like you, you dangle a commission or a bonus in front of me, like, sure, it's exciting, but uh, I'm going to work hard based off principle and, you know, that type of a thing. So th- th- this topic in itself, man, you could create an entire podcast on this. It would <laughs> well, go, I have to bring you nuts. back on. I, I, I covered commission heavily in the book and, and uh, example companies uh, off the top of your head. Uh, do you, are there any companies you're aware of? I'm always on the lookout for them that pay their sellers a full salary and bonus. I know a whole bunch I'll share with you, but I want to bias you first. Um, off the top of my head. No. Um, I, I, I was once I, I experienced it once as a seller um, and it was at a previous startup. And again, like I said, that it didn't change my behaviors one bit. Um, but um, 
ha I don't know off the top of my head. I'd have to look back because I think there, that post I mentioned, I think some were, were referenced and mentioned. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think this is a super interesting topic that people are going to get you know, really fired up and excited about. So. Yeah, man. I'll, I'll, I'll totally bring you back on for another one. And just some to check out and maybe in the meantime, uh, culture amp, plural site, monday.com, uh, refined labs, bravado, obviously see Hillman Suri very against yep. that. Um, Legion logistics, microchip technology, and there's bamboo HR. There's a couple others in the book I mentioned. Maybe maybe Zipier. I'm not sure. I can't remember okay. off the top of my head. But yeah, maybe, maybe have a look there. It's all interesting stuff. There's a lot of talk about this um, beneath the the waves. But um, so as a sorry as a buyer though, um, any preference either way, uh, or is it neutral for the audience to opinion to something? I mean, if you, if you had to take a stand, like I think as a buyer, you probably want to know that regardless of the outcome, the person's not going to make more or less money, right? Because that, that like, look, ultimately that will drive behaviors. Um, so I think as a buyer, yeah, you, you'd absolutely prefer to know that regardless of the outcome, um, it doesn't change the financial outlook for the salesperson. Yeah, interesting. And that could be a competitive advantage for folks it's like these other companies, but they kind of advertise that. Uh, they'll say on the website or they do that a lot in their marketing so that their buyers know that their sellers don't have commission. And you'll see, you'll see that also on the B2C side, like certain financial brokers or Tesla. Yep, um, yep. And so something to chew on are real estate agents. So now let's pivot back to marketing and take the negative um, side. So how do you not like to be marketed to to become aware of vendors like what causes you to turn off and tune out at like the awareness stage forms <laughs> like if i it, like because you know what it is it's like you know exactly what's coming right um there's there's a couple companies that i think create they create a lot of great content i don't i don't want to say name names but i think that there, there's one content one company in particular that creates a lot of great content um that's educational for a sales leader has nothing to do with their product. It ties to their products. So it's they're in that space, but it's it's a lot of great content for a sales leader or for a salesperson to just level up, right? Um, but you have to fill out a form, and when you fill out that form, the next thing you have is you know you got an SDR calling you asking you for if you want a demo. Like, no, I don't want a demo. I just want to learn about this topic. Um, I don't. I didn't express any interest in your tech. So I think, uh, and again, I really look at um, like to me, sales and marketing around all of like pipeline creation call, like it's a go-to-market effort. It's a joint effort. So if I see a form, I know that I'm probably going to start getting um, emails, phone calls that I just don't want. Um, so that's the, probably one of the first ones. Um, I think the next though, the things that just turn me off, it's like, I don't know. I love B2B marketing that just, does things differently and they're just willing to like be super creative uh maybe a little bit bold in in their approach um like i said i don't want to read a ton of stuff like make it simple make videos um but anything that's going to be a little bit different I, I i probably drive to so if it's like the normal old you know call to actions with the the ebook attached it's like uh, I don't, know, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not excited about that. <laughs> yeah. And guys, and so Kevin here is talking about forms and, and this is gated content, right? So it, yeah, it's, it's yeah. basically marketing it 
is withholding information from the buyer, it, it, trying to get their contact information. And once they get that contact information, it's then off to the races with um, sales development to try to get that buyer into a sales conversation. And the buyer may not be ready for that. They're just there to, to they're, they're, they're too early on. It's too premature. They might just be trying to get that information. And then that can really turn buyers off. So um, on a similar, on a similar thread, uh, and we hit, hit this a lot on the show, how, how do you feel about um, being on the receiving end of telemarketing? Um, and, and, and when you say that, just to, just to clarify, you're just talking about like actually receiving cold calls and. Yeah. Um, so like in, in terms of becoming aware of vendors, uh, you know, how do you feel about telemarketing as an approach that, uh, B2B vendor marketing takes to, to do that? And, you know, what, maybe what percentage do you take a demo? What percentage do you buy? Things like that. Yeah, I mean, for I mean, at that stage, um, I mean, it's probably a really, really low percentage that I would um, like want to take a demo or buy. Um, at, at that point, the one thing that you're very unaware of as as a salesperson and that buyer is, is timing, right? Like, do you have like, is there, am I facing a problem today that you can help fix? So, in the grand scheme of things, like. I love a good cold call. I respect the hell out of it. There's not a lot of them out there, right? And I think that's the problem is I think a lot of it is this like um, spray and pray type mentality of just, you know, banging out a hundred cold calls and just same old script. There's no personalization. Um, so I, I think if you treat the cold call in almost this very much a um, in an awareness fashion, it's not a bad thing and you won't turn buyers off, but you have to treat it as such, right? If you cold call me out of the blue and are trying to, you know, basically, you know, put me in a chokehold and take me to the demo, it's like, you don't even know if I have a problem that you can solve yet, right? So I think if it's, if the approach is like conversational and has some really great open-ended questions, um, and again, I actually, I received a cold call a couple of weeks ago and it was phenomenal. Right. And she she opened the call with, hey, like speak to a lot of folks just like yourself, other sales leaders. And, you know, one of the problems they're facing today is this like is are you guys feeling that? Like, is that something that's on your radar? I'm like, yeah, it is a bit. It is a bit. Right. And 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 she just it was conversational. It was back and forth. She knew her stuff. She had great open ended questions. Um, and then, you know, but again, give her giving her tons of credit. Ask for the demo. And I was like, look, this is not the right timing for us, you know, for a number of reasons. I explained why. Um, and she's like, all right, cool. She, and then she closed the, the call by saying, Kevin, I see you've got a pretty, a pretty sizable network here. And I'm sure you're connected to a lot of other sales leaders and revenue leaders based on our conversation today. Is there anyone that you know that might benefit from something like this? And I was like, holy crap, like awesome, awesome question. I'm like, you know what I do, right? Because I have these peers, we have these conversations. I'm like, you should call so-and-so I'll let them know you're calling. Yeah, right? definitely. Um, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, you know, so I, so I think like, I, I think it's one of those things that if done well or if done right, it can be beneficial and helpful. But I think that more often than not, the approach very much misses the mark today in terms of how folks try to execute. Yeah, like no matter what marketing tactic you do, whether or not buyers like it to this or that much extent, just do it well. <laughs> it's like there's nothing like you could be doing the best marketing tactic, but 
if it's not done, if it's not executed well, it, it's never, it's never good. So if you are going to do any marketing tactic, try to do well. So yeah. on a similar thread, another thing that we hear uh, is how do you feel about cold email and maybe cold LinkedIn DMs or connect and pitch? Like how, what's your experience getting those and, you know, maybe similar to the telemarketing stuff? Yeah. Like, I mean, it's, so. it's similar. It's, it's, it's very similar in that sense, right? Like, I mean, the number, um, the, the connect and pitch thing, like it just, again, you're, you're blanketly shooting a shot, right? Like you're basically going with your eyes closed, connecting, connecting with folks that have a certain job title. Um, but you have no idea anything about me, anything, what I'm experiencing. Like you have no idea if you can even help fix a, a pain point or challenge of mine. Um, so I think that's got to go. Um, there are folks that do it really well where it's like, you just kind of spark up conversation, right? Um, a, a really good way that I think about it, um, if you are trying to do this, it's, you know, if you're, if you're at a trade show or at a conference, right. And you want to go start, you know, sparking up conversations with people, right. I'm not going to just like walk up to you and be like, Hey, Nelson. Um, so here's my elevator pitch. Like, would you like to learn more about us? You'd be like, what's your name? Like, I don't even, what, what just happened? Right. Like it, it would be like way too much, way too quick. Right. But if you just come up like, Hey, like, so like, how's the show treating you so far? What are you hoping to get out of it? Cool. Like, so tell me about your company. Tell me about your role. You just start engaging in conversation. Right. You might be like, Oh, cool. Hey, here's what I do. Right. And like, I don't know. Is that, what, what do you think about that? You know, you just, again, it's more curiosity and, and these open-ended questions and just a bit more conversational as opposed to like very super sales pitchy. Yeah, um, and if you, if you guys remember what Kevin was saying earlier on in the conversation, how he liked to come aware of vendors, it was through his peers and networking and community and text groups and LinkedIn and Patreon, yeah. content creators and social media and in these communities where people are basically having like normal business conversations or just interesting conversations and like by the by, like vendors come up, but it's not pitchy. It's not like, boom, here, here we go. You want to speak to sales? Um, yeah, right. It's a, it's an education, like an awareness thing, you know, and I, I, like very much like I'll talk to folks that are in the quote unquote, like ideal customer profile and persona for me, but I'll, I'll tell them all about what I do and why I love it and why our customers love it and all of that. But like, I'll actually purposely hold back from asking if they want to learn about it. It's like, it's almost playing hard to get right. Like, (laughs) but, but in a way, like it's, it's better to be a bit more reserved. I found because then you can just start like, let them express the, like, you'll, you'll get a little buying signal. You'll pick it up. Right. And, and then you can kind of take your, you know, you can take your shot at it. But um, again, I think it should be a lot more awareness and education, but what I, the reason, and, and I don't want to get too off track here, but I think the reason that this is all broken is because a lot of companies have this, um, you know, these outrageous goals, these outrageous, we need revenue now, we need pipeline now. Um, if you do outbound, and I'll just use outbound marketing as, a, as one, but like if you, to do that well, it takes time. You know, to do it the right way, to do it well, it does take a lot of time. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of companies are under pressure and don't have that time. So it's almost like you got to go and make the thousand you know cold calls every single week and hope that three pop up as pipeline yeah and I, i'm glad you brought this up kevin and i think it's okay f- to take a slight detour uh for the normal song and dance of this podcast but because I, this is a lot i hear this a lot from marketing sales leaders 
Now, if ownership is pressuring you because they need bad growth now, uh, then you don't have to work for that ownership. Like um, you've got goals in your life, like health goals, financial goals, relationship goals, maybe side hustle goals. You know that you need to have a long-term mindset and that things take time. And that even the, the ownership or the founder of the company knows that building a product took time. Building a company takes time and requires long-term mindset. In marketing, the buyer's decision to, to learn, try, and buy takes time. They have to speak to peers. They have to become aware of you. They have to learn from you, maybe try you out for a little bit, take you for a spin. They got to come to the website, have a play about. They got to speak to sales. They got to go through this whole journey until yep. they, they buy and you can't rush them and pop the question too soon. You can't be that person, you know, who's not playing hard to get, but is like playing like, uh, you know, desperate, desperado at the bar. Like, please, please, <laughs> like, will you marry me, woman I just met? And then you wonder why she slaps you in the face or you, or you never hear back from her. And so um, it, that's, that's a point where, for leadership to say, look, we're, we're agreeing. Like when you hire us, when in our interviews or whatever, um, and our annual goals meetings, we are committing to this. We think that this is appropriate long-term goals. And we're yeah. not deviating from that. If you uh, uh, ownership want to, to like not have the right mindset, then we're out. And, and that is what marketers and sales leaders should seriously think about. Take your talent elsewhere for a better return and don't work for someone who wants you to somehow like sprinkle magic fairy dust on growth and have growth tomorrow. It's, and again, I think this is, this is why you look at the tenure of a VP of sales and it's what now, like, I don't know, 14, 18 months, something crazy like that. And it's because a lot of founders think, you know, I can hire this, this rock star VP of sales and he or she will come in and wave their magic wand and revenue goes up and to the right. And and I think what, um, what, what a lot of companies fail to realize is that, Man, if it if it was just on the backs of that one person, like it, it'd be you know it'd be easy. Like that that's just an easy way of getting there. But the reality is, is it it takes it takes the entire village. It takes the entire sales team, the entire marketing team, customer success. It takes product. It takes all these com- all these different departments ripping down the silos and actually working together on a unified goal and go to market. And yeah. that's what you know. Those are the companies that I think have done incredibly well over the years. Um, but it, it took them some time to get there. Yeah, definitely. And maybe another, we'll continue that thread. Maybe when we pick up the commission thread as well. And so maybe to steer things back to uh, the established agenda. So um, we just talked about how you do not like to be marketed to. And we talked about some cold outreach, whether that's telemarketing or email or uh, LinkedIn connect and pitch. So on that thread, what would you say is the percentage split preference for becoming aware of vendors from marketing um, versus sales development? And so, you know, you got these two different marketing approaches. Marketing does content, social, word of mouth, referrals, community, influencing your peers, all that blah, 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 good stuff. Um, and then sales development does a lot of this um, cold outreach. And so as a buyer, yeah. the buyer shoes, do you have, um, do you have a preference? Well, you yeah. know, here here's uh yeah i mean this is this is an interesting one and i think um if done very well right if done well from from the sales like say from the sdr side of things 
if it's done well, it shouldn't feel like it's a sales or marketing. It should just feel like education and awareness, right? Um, now the tactic or the vehicle might be through a salesperson. Um, but again, I think if they're doing it the right way and at a high level, you, it should be, it should feel almost like marketing in a way. Um, and again, that's like the very, like, that's like the cold, um, outreach, getting things in, into engagement, but because I don't think a lot of companies do it very well, um, as a buyer today, I'd rather, like I said, probably spend 60% of my journey on my own to, to learn and figure it out before speaking with the salesperson. Right. And so, th- so that was between getting information from marketing and sales, but between becoming aware of vendors between marketing and sales development, do you have a, um, a quantifiable percentage split there for how you like to become aware of vendors? Um, yeah, I mean, it's probably, probably something, probably 60% marketing. Gotcha. And I think to your point where you say like, if sales development comes across like marketing where they do it in a sort of an awareness uh, phase where maybe it's content, social events, networking, community. Um, and I think what I see, what I'm seeing is a lot of, uh, SDRs are trying to do that a lot of even to some extent that sales has to generate leads and, and has to do the role of sales development or do do that do that type of work um, what they're realizing is what where they're getting the most juice is just through basically doing marketing through doing content social events community networking um, putting themselves out there in a non connect and pitch non non like hey here's the spiel do you want to speak sales way but you know they're 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 out there and um doing that awareness stuff that marketing would normally do so sorry you want to go ahead yeah no i was gonna say it's it's just it's it's all storytelling right like if if you're as an sdr if, if you're able to go out and just tell really great stories around you know hey like here's examples or here's why customers love us and here's how customers are using us. And here's the impact we're having for our customers. Right. Um, you have to, you know, if, if, if you kind of boil it down, I'll just use like the, the a revenue leader, sales leader as a, um, as an example, but like we're all under tremendous pressure to grow and grow revenue. Right. We all want more pipeline. We all want better conversions. Like these are all just some of the common things, but if you can be empathetic and understand that, and you can just share stories around how you're helping other companies or other sales leaders like myself do that. It's a great way, right? It's a really good tactic and really good approach. So you don't need to necessarily go um, for this hardcore pitch. And I think having somebody, um, if it is like a cold call, but you also have right a really great library of buyer enablement material. Oh, let me send you a, a product tour. Oh, let me send you this case study. Like if you have other enabled material that you can just be there as a, you know, like I said, tell some stories, answer some questions and continue to help them, continue to educate them and have the resources to do so. Um, I think it's a good approach. I just don't think too many companies take it. Right on. And I got two more questions for you before we hear about revenue standard, who you help and what you do. Do you, you got time for that? Cause I realize that we're at the top of the hour, but I just got two yeah. more for you. Okay. We'll yeah, see, let's, let's we'll see how far we can get them. So you've been in the game for 15 years at least, and have seen a lot um, as you've helped advise and consult startups. So I'm really curious about your opinion on this one. So let's talk about modern B2B buyer preferences at large. You know, we just covered yours and we saw that basically, you know, you, you're roughly 60% um, along your way to a purchasing decision, thanks to marketing. 
before you really get to sales. Um, and according to uh, a lot of the folks we've had on this show and uh, according to Gartner, Forrester, Miller-Hyman, Harvard Business Review, most, if not all, of the buyer's decision today is influenced by marketing. Something, And we're seeing something towards the high end. If it's 100%, if there's fully self-serve, there's no sales motion. But generally speaking, it's like 80 90% um, yep. where the buyer is being influenced by marketing directly and from, let's say, the website, but also marketing indirectly through their peers, uh, who marketing is also influencing. So basically, buyers want more marketing, less sales, if at all. So wh- why do you think that is? Like, what's changed in the past 10, 20, 30 years that buyers want to become aware of and learn about vendors more from marketing than sales, and um, that marketing now has the ability to give that information? Yeah, so um, I think there's a couple of things. One, you know, we, we touched on it a bit before, but I think that there traditionally has been this stigma of salespeople in it for the money, not trying to do what's best for you, not trying to help you and just trying to be um, trying to create, trying to get a commission check. Right. So I think that there, uh, again, that there's a stigma around that. Um, does it exist today the same way it did years and years and years ago? No, I don't believe so. I know a lot of great salespeople who will walk away from a deal, um, because it's just not the right deal to close, right? So I think there's less of that, but I think that that's part of it. Um, obviously, with um, I mean, with with social media, with uh, with different types of video platform. I mean, the amount of content that you can create um, is content just so much more accessible, right? And and companies are are taking um, advantage of that. So if you're not out there creating a lot of content. Well, your competitors are right, and if you're not getting that type of um, education and content and awareness in front of your potential buyers, then it's it's you know it's kind of this uphill battle, right? So and I, think I heard about the, you, Kevin, through your podcast, Addicted to Growth, and I think you also might have had Chris Walker on at some point, or you were on Chris Walker. Yeah, we had Chris on twice. Yeah, yeah, and so th- there's an example right there, like Kevin as a sales leader. Um, helping to consult companies also working on this podcast is how I heard about him and how this conversation happened and how you're hearing about him. So yeah. you see, it has like this compounding yield, this network effect. Sorry, Kevin, go ahead. No, it's it, but that's exactly it. Right. Um, and I think lots of companies are, are getting into the podcast game. Um, you know, so, the, and there's going to be newer and cooler and more innovative things, right. Especially with web three and, and who knows what that's going to bring. And so I do think that, um, there's a lot more accessibility for buyers where they don't have to speak with somebody, um, which I think is a great thing. So I think I, I would say those are probably the two primary reasons on why we're seeing the shift. And then uh, I, the, the third I would throw out there, um, so many people today want to have this try before you buy mentality, right? Um, I think it's, um, again, if you look at a lot of decision makers to do today too, right? Like it's a lot of millennials um, and they are, connected to the internet they have their phones like they just it's a much more of a digital experience for them as opposed to that traditional speaking to someone experience and so um creating these digital experiences is 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 huge and this try before you buy you know product-led growth movement is is huge and there's certain companies i know that are absolutely killing it on the plg side right and they're just you know um and it's super interesting and it's impressive but they've just they've kind of shifted and they've created an amazing customer experience that educates the buyer, allows them to see immediate value to impact. Um, and then on their kind of own accord, allows them to continue 
you know, working with them and expanding. So, um, nice yeah, it's definitely, definitely the future there. Yeah, for sure. And just a quick side note, I'm trying to reclaim uh, it as marketing led growth because I think a free trial or, or try before you buy is actually a marketing thing and not a product thing. I think product steals the glory there and we need to reclaim that as for marketing. <laughs> so, but, but uh, so I'm doing a little bit of rebrand work there. We'll, we'll talk in a couple months about that. Now I want to let you try before you buy, because I was torn between the question I wanted to ask you. And so maybe you can relieve me, my conscience of it. Yeah. So um, I wanted to either ask you to describe your ideal B2B marketing and sales model or one or the other. Um, but I also might ask you, um, and, and you can choose either or both, but um, it seems like a lot of sellers are frustrated these days. And maybe as you say, they suffer this bad stigma and there's stuff in the sales world that you probably would like to fix, um, you know, some problems or some issues that just kind of nag you. And I was, you know, so I wanted to see if you had, any preference for either those, those things that you want, might want to talk about and just kind of run with it. <laughs> yeah. I, I like the latter, to be honest with you. Yeah, um, I so. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well let's, let's dive into that. Why don't, why don't you kind of team me up a little bit? Give me, yeah. what so, are you thinking? Yeah. So basically in the sales world, we're seeing high turnover, low tenure, low performance, most sellers missing quota most of the time, uh, a tenure of around 11 months. Uh, low job satisfaction. I mean, there's a bit of, yeah, sales has this bad reputation, not just amongst buyers, but amongst sales itself. And there could be a whole lot of uh, reasons for that. It could be commission. It could be quotas. It it, it could be, um, you know, it could be the, it could be the sales role itself where you could have a seller who's doing a lot of prospecting and prospecting is really grinds on you. It could be a seller, um, maybe if they're, if the role is like, you know, they're just doing the AE stuff, but they don't get to build the customer relationship and hold on to that customer and do the CSM stuff as well. So it's just like, you know, they're just doing the initial sale, but then they, then the, the CSM gets to see to everything else. And so you miss a little bit of the other side of sales. Um, yeah. That could be a reason. Um, so a couple, yeah, a bunch of stuff. And you, you know, there, there's uh, I guess in the, in the sales world, um Probably there's a lot more BS that happens than maybe in other departments where sales, as you said, that there's a lot of the buyer's decision to buy depends on product, depends on marketing, depends on sales. It depends on uh, uh, competition. It depends on lots of different factors. And it seems that maybe sales often gets the blame if like the buyer doesn't buy. It's like, how could you? But it's like, um, well, hello, <laughs> most of the buyer's decision to buy is actually outside of my control, according to like a lot of uh, data and evidence that it's actually yep. marketing or the product or their peers, and, uh, you know, so it's like, don't blame me for everything. And then sales gets the ax all the time. And we're seeing that now with the recent layoffs. So yeah, yeah. that is a little bit of color for you. Maybe you, you can run with that. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I think if we're, we're kind of thinking here, you know, macro perspective, you see um, like sales performance from a macro perspective is, is down and it's terrible. Like you said, 10 years down. Um, I'd even say just like engagement and pure happiness in the role is, is it's tough. Right. Um, so I think that there's, there's a few things. And again, just like, just like, you know, there's no silver bullet here, right? There's not one thing you can do that fixes it all. Um, but I'll kind of riff on a couple that I think are, are some of the, if you can fix these things in a way, these are some of the biggest that have the biggest impact. Um, 
first and foremost, I think um, a lot of founders go out and raise a ton of capital with these outrageous expectations that are just not real, right? And um, the you know the founder went out, raised this money. Um, now they got to hit revenue targets. They hire this VP of sales who did not build these revenue targets that are literally just they they make sense on an Excel spreadsheet, but when it comes to the ways and how and when and the time it takes to get there, it's not realistic. So that that creates, I think, a lot of the immediate pressure. Um, the other is, I think, you know, definitely for sales individual contributors, there's there's not a lot. Like, I can't tell you how many salespeople reach out to me and they just say, like, I get zero coaching, I get zero mentorship, I get zero training. Um, like leadership from that perspective and investing in their success is just completely vacant. So I think that that's the thing, but the, I think I'll be honest, I've, I've gotten sales trainers for my sales teams. Um, I've done, again, I'm passionate about it. It's why I got into leadership because I wanted to help others and I got more passionate about that. So I've always done a lot of my own training, even if the company didn't have a training program. I've been a four-time VP of sales and a one-time CRO. I've never had sales leadership coaching. A company has never invested in that for me. Right. So you have leaders that are trying to lead, right? And sometimes first-time managers, first-time leaders that have no idea what they're doing. And it's not a fault of theirs, but they have there's no investment in them. Right. Um, so I think that's a really, really big problem. And then again, furthermore, I think we 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 touch on it a bit, but um sales compensation relative to how other departments right are compensated like like you said you could lose a deal because the product didn't work and who 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 feels the burden or the pain of that well it's the salesperson right and if you miss sales targets because the product doesn't work well guess what happens and one of two things is going to happen either you're going to either that salesperson is going to get put on you know put them on the pip and all that crap. And, and you know, the end of that story, um, or you're going to have, I, I've seen salespeople leave because they, they, they're just not engaged and there's no confidence that the product itself is going to get fixed. So, you know, so I think the the whole compensation piece and alignment to what's really important um, in terms of goals and metrics and how we measure performance to those goals and metrics is, is massively flawed. Um, some companies do it really, really well. Others don't. Um, but like you said, right, it, it, sales, if they're responsible for now on the high end, call it 30, 40% of the journey, but has 100% of the downside and gets 100% of the blame, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't feel right um, or equitable, right? So, um, so those are some of them, but I do think that uh, um, there's just a massive, massive lack of investing in proper sales coaching, sales skills, the proper tools, the proper resources, um, and then finally the proper like realistic targets and objectives. And that brings um, me, and I, and I think this is probably a good place to, to wrap things up because so for a lot of the folks who are listening who are young companies who, you know, you built the product, you know, you got a little product market fit and you, you are starting to build out your, your sales team, um, there's a lot of pitfalls that you can make that are really going to set you back. And one of the advantages of someone like Kevin is that he's been there, done that, and he helps a lot of companies navigate that. So you don't make those pitfalls and the whole spiel, you go further, faster, less cost, all that type of stuff. And that's why you don't, and you don't need to necessarily hire a full-time CRO at your young company where you're barely making it ends meet, or like you have to be so judicious. You can't bring on someone 
um, at that point. And so that's where an expert comes in outside who can, who can help you go the distance and bring the expertise and just give you the playbook and everything that you need that we talked about here, metrics, process, compensation, hiring. So you do it right at the beginning and you don't have these bad palms calcified. So Kevin, I just teed you up. Now tell us about <laughs> revenue standard, who you help, your ICP and, and, and what you do and how you do it. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. And I, I mean, that, that was a, a really good, um, kind of summary there. So I, I work with early stage companies and, and founders, um, you know, typically companies that are either um, still founder led and trying to kind of graduate out of that motion or have a small semblance of a sales team and, and need to um, get to a more mature state. So it's exactly what you're saying, right? Um, how do we set things up and build a foundation on the early stage, early side of things? that allow you to do it right the first time, right? Reduce mistakes, reduce, you know, lost time and ultimately build a foundation for scale, whether that be through sales coaching, sales process optimizations, um, building the playbooks, you know, aligning with marketing and product and CS. Um, so, yeah, so I work um, with a lot of early stage companies, um, you know, that that are looking to just, you know, I don't know, get their shit together and mature a little bit. Um, and again, but but it's really it's, it's really building the foundations for um, for scale. So uh, but no, I think you, you said it really nicely and appreciate you uh, shouting that out. Awesome. And I brought Kevin on the show, guys, because Kevin is one of the few modern sales leaders that I know. Um, I, I don't think, unfortunately, that there's many, at least to my knowledge, I could be wrong about that. Maybe Kevin knows a lot more than I do about who these folks are. Um, but I, I think he's a, he's a really good resource and he doesn't know it yet, but I'm going to try to wrangle him into uh, the, the biocentric revenue model community partner network. So, he, you know, he'll be, so his details will be there and folks can, can hit him up from the Slack community, just like we talked about earlier in this episode, peer network. Um, and there will be Kevin right there in a peer network. And so hopefully it'll bear fruit for Kevin, trade value for value. So Kevin, thank you so much for sharing your, your uh, insights to the audience. This has been fantastic. And we'll catch everyone in the next one. Buyer-centric revenue model over and out.